Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. It's nice to be together on a Sabbath again. As the weeks get uh, busier and more hectic, Sabbath can't seem to come fast enough, and it's uh, always nice to be able to spend Sabbath. Uh, Sabbath services together, worshiping God together, and learning from each other. I will start by addressing those who are online, who uh, will maybe be hearing this uh, through our uh, taped, uh, our recorded version online, that it's important, uh, if you're listening to this online, to note that this message is a follow-up to Deacon Jan's message from last week, uh, his sermon last week entitled, Know Your Spiritual Gifts. So, if you happen to be listening to this message and have not heard that one, I would suggest you uh, uh, put, abort this for now and, and, and listen to his, his first. Uh, uh, his sets up this one. As we were talking, Brother uh, Jan and I, a few weeks back, he mentioned he was going to talk last week about gifts. And I thought that at that time I would talk about uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and the love chapter. Well, as I did, uh, and as we're going to see here, um, it morphed into something a lot more than I had anticipated, which obviously is, is God's, God's providence, I hope, and trust. But last week, as if you were here, and for those of you who weren't, I'll just sort of bring you up to speed a little bit. Uh, Brother Jan talked about gifts found in 1 Corinthians 12 and also in Romans. And he talked about how, the, uh, how, as he saw it and as he understood it, there were provisional gifts, universal gifts, and preparational gifts. Uh, provisional gifts, uh, for instance, like tongues, which tongues which were more important back then that necess- aren't necessarily uh, required right now or needed because of the, the Word of God that we have and, and, and the Internet and, and how the Word of God through various languages is available in tongues, so it wasn't needed. Not necessarily these days is needed for uh, miraculous giving of God's Word in tongues. Again, if you haven't, if you, you if you heard last week, you know what I'm talking. But if you weren't, I suggest you uh, hear that excellent sermon. Some gifts, like wisdom, uh, for instance, are universal, or they're required of all Christians. Then they're not a special gift that is given to specific people for a specific purpose, but they're required of all Christians. And others are preparational, like uh, ministry or service, uh, for instance. When he mentions, again, as he mentioned this to me, I thought that I would do a, a follow-up sermon on the love chapter. So if you could, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As we start. And if I were to ask you what the greatest gift was, what comes to mind? If love comes to mind, that would be something that I would expect to come to mind, because it actually came to my mind this week while I was preparing this message. But I was shocked at what I, what I was reading in Scripture, that perhaps it's not quite that way. And if you'd like to follow me here through, the, through, the, through with this message, I'd like to show you what I mean by that. We're going to start to pick it up in verse 27. Again, referring to gifts. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and after that miracles, and gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all miracle workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak, tongue, speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet, I show you a more excellent way. Verse 31 says, earnestly desire the best gifts. And I know over the course of the last number of months, it's been a habit here in the messages that we really delve into the Greek meanings. What that does do is it helps understand what the writer was thinking when they were writing the scriptures. Because words can sometimes, over the course of 2,000 years, change context or change meanings. But if we look into the meanings of some of these Greek words, we can get an idea of what the writer was thinking when he was writing this, in this case, Paul. And when we read this phrase, earnestly desire the best gifts, 
or in the King James, covet earnestly. That word covet earnestly is the word zilu. It's 2206 in Strong's. And it means to be zealous for. So it's not covet in the way that we are, are, are commanded against coveting in the commandments. It's actually to be zealous for something. The word gives is the word charisma. It's turned into an English word, charisma. But it's much more than just what we think of the English word charisma. 50, uh, Strong's 5486. And it means grace or gifts denoting extraordinary powers, distinguishing certain Christians. So again, the preparational gifts that we heard about last week, not the universal ones that are expected of all people, but distinguishing certain Christians and enabling them to serve the Church of Christ. Also refers to another additional meaning, miraculous faculty or religious qualifications. But it's a quality given by God to, to certain people for the purpose of serving His church or His people. And the word best, again, when we read over some of these smaller words, we sometimes think, well, I do need to look these up, but the word best actually means more useful or more serviceable. So these gifts are not about self-glorification, but they're given by God for specific use to His people. And gifts that we, according to Scripture, that we need to be zealous for, for God's service. But then, he ends this chapter, and again, we know that when he wrote this, it was just a great big long letter. They weren't, they were not chapter breaks. But he says, yet, despite all this talk of gifts, I show you a more excellent way. And this word excellent is the, the Greek word hyperbole, which is now an English word. And it actually means a, a more excellent way. It means the, 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 the highest of excellence. So we've heard from time immemorial that love is the greatest gift. Because then from here, we proceed into chapter 13 that talks about love. Let's have a closer look. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. We'll review some scriptures that we've reviewed and studied over the last number of months. About this excellent way. Or a more excellent way, this more, this more excellent way that Paul talks about here. So Philippians chapter 2, and we won't go through too much here, we're just going to remind you what we talked about. Verse 3 tells us, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we studied the book of Philippians a number of months back. Brother Adrian went through that study. Was talking about this advanced level of Christianity. That once we get once we get the, the milk in our system and we get we're now ready for meat. What this meat is, and it was to this Philippian church that was the crown and the crown and glory of Paul's ministry, was this mind of Christ, being able to to take that next step and put on the mind of Christ, to understand what it meant, what it means to become like God in character, and like his son. So putting on the mind of Christ, as we see here talked about to the Philippian church, is a requirement of mature Christians. And we studied that again as we talked about through those courses of the study of the book of Philippians. But this mind of Christ is what is a, a basic requirement of mature Christians. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians. We'll look in chapter 3, the third chapter of 1 Corinthians. And we'll look again at this solid food. In verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says to the Corinthian church, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And then as an example, he says, For one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? They were not ready for spiritual food, for solid meat. This congregation, as, as established as it was, was still immature. They were, there was still the little things that plague startup groups. There was, there was pride on the line here and, and following certain men, not following God, not following Christ. 
And there were some things that Paul simply couldn't teach them because they were not ready for it yet. And he certainly had lots to say. He had lots to teach the Philippians. All that he had gone through about, about the agape love and, and, and putting on the mind of Christ, all that we again talked about before. But they were not ready for this solid food. They were still very, very immature. So with that in mind, the difference between the Philippian church, the mature church, and the immature Corinthian church, let's take a go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and have a look at this chapter in light of the reminder that this group was not yet ready for solid food. That's a, it's an important distinction here, that this group simply wasn't ready for solid food. This, they were, what they were ready for was milk. So why does Paul here talk about, and it's interesting here, that he talks about gifts. Chapter 14 is gifts, but then he stops here and says, I need to show you a more excellent way. Brother Jan, last week, Ethan Jan, covered gifts. We talked in chapter 12 about those gifts. Let's now look at chapter 14 and in verse 1. So understanding that chapter 12 is about gifts, knowing from our background in history, we haven't studied it yet here today, chapter 13 is this love chapter. Interestingly, chapter 14 takes a return back to gifts, where it says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. So love doesn't seem to be a gift here, because Paul differentiates spiritual gifts and love being something else. And again, this word desire is the same word we looked at earlier at the end of chapter 12 that discussed to covet earnestly. This desire is the same word to covet earnestly, which is a, a, a to be zealous for. It's that same word, zealous, to be zealous for. So it's to be zealous for these spiritual gifts. Pursue love and be zealous for these spiritual gifts. Two different commands. So if you notice, much of the last half of this letter, after he gets through dealing with the, the sexual sins of those two members of the congregation, much of the last half of this letter, Paul goes into detail about the functioning of the local church. We see that in chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 10. We get into, even through chapter 11, the details of how the church functions. Chapter 14, once we get through the gifts here, chapter 14 also talks about how the, the functioning of a church should go. And keeping in mind that way back in chapter 3, he talks about how immature they were. So he's getting right down to, basic, to, to Christian basics here, about how this church needed, needed to function. That they were very dysfunctional. That's important as we assess why this chapter 13 on love is, is, is here in the middle of this long assessment of gifts here. So gifts were part of his instructions in chapter 12 and chapter 14. We'll get to that in a little bit here. But in the middle of all of this is chapter 13. Verse 1. Let's pick it up. And though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. So he's talking about gifts here. He's talking about the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, the gift of self sacrifice. The gift of giving. But he says, if I don't have love, it's, it's meaningless, it's useless. And again, to go back to Strong's, because these, these understanding of these specific Greek words really brings to light what Paul was trying to say. This profits me nothing, the, word pro, the, the two words profits me is a single Greek word, ophelio, and it means to be useful. So we earlier discussed that gifts are to be useful. Here, Paul is saying that if I don't have love while I'm practicing these gifts, they're useless. They profit me nothing. Drop down to verse 11. Again, keeping in mind this context of this, the Corinthian church. He then tells them, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, 
I put away childish things. For now you see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So on the piggyback in the back of chapter 3, where he talks about, I'd love to teach you these, these, these give you the spiritual meaning. He's saying here that they're, they're immature. And they need to take that next. They need to put away these childish things. Having one foot in the church and having one foot in the world. And coming to God on the Sabbath here, as they would then, but then still in their private lives, having these sexual sins that these two people that are very clear in chapter 5 were a part of, and we know what the city of Corinth was like. It was living, like living in Las Vegas. And having one foot in Las Vegas and one foot on Saturdays in the church. He's saying to them, here, there comes a time when you need to put away these childish things. And I can't give you this fruit, this solid food, until you take the time to put away these childish things. And in essence, he's telling them here to grow up. And that's the, that is much of the theme of the letter. All the way back from when he first introduced the, the, the letter back when we read in chapter 3. He's telling them it's time to grow up and to put away childish things. Again, all the sins from their past life that they were clinging to, that was inhibiting their spiritual growth. And he's telling them that they can't even begin to discuss gifts until they have matured into agape-filled Christians. So he has this discussion on gifts, and he puts a stop to it, and says, I need to show you a more excellent way. Before we even continue with these gifts, you can't have gifts unless you have the love of God, unless you're working on becoming an agape-filled Christian. Because, and, he did, and we read it in the first three verses of chapter 13, gifts without agape are self-serving. If we don't have it in our heart as to the proper, proper way, the proper type of service that we're doing to glorify God, we're doing it to bring God's way to people, then our tongues are just noise. It's just these loud symbols that just make noise and have no purpose. If we if we give up ourselves, we're really like the like the parable in Matthew about the man who said, uh, you know, Lord, I've done all of these things. You know, they, he has like his reward. The reward is is the self gratification that you feel if you do not have the love in you while you're practicing these gifts. So as all of these these members of the Corinthian church are working on trying to determine who has what gifts and to be look look like these advanced Christians, Paul's saying you're not even ready for that. Because you have no God there. You, have, you don't have the love of God in you. And without the love of God, you're using your gifts for, for, for wrong reasons. And we can't even get to gifts yet because that's the mature stage. We need to fill the basis in here with, with the love of God. Prophecy without love is simply noise. Tongues without love are clanging symbols. Giving of one's life, of one's goods or one's life, without love is just beautiful self-sacrifice. So this 13th chapter, which again is not really a chapter, not really a chapter, it's, it's, it's one great big long letter, but this one, what we know as the 13th chapter of Corinthians, seems to be parenthetical. We talk about gifts, we talk about gifts, but uh, wait a second here, we need to talk about this thing called agape love. Because this stuff makes no sense and is, is incomplete without understanding why we're doing it. If you want to talk about gifts, Paul says, we can do that, but you're not ready for that yet. We'll go over the gifts, but you need to focus on the basic building blocks first. Faith, hope, and love. Those aren't gifts, because we all need them. We all need them. We have, we have no, we have no, if we have no faith, it's, it's nothing. If we have no hope, it's nothing. If we have no love, we are nothing. But even above those basic building blocks, First and foremost is love. This agape love. And it's interesting, again, back to Strong's, this word abide, verse 13, now abide, now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. This word abide is the Greek word meno, and it means to remain, to continue in, or don't depart from. And this was an instruction to the entire church. So it's not a gift, this love is not a gift at all. Were to be this word to abide in 
tells them you can't depart from this. You have to remain in love. You can't depart from love. It's, it's like the fuel that fuels the engine that you use on your journey towards the kingdom, down the road to the kingdom of God. Without love, the engine doesn't start and you're going nowhere. It's a, it's a, it's a really futile analogy. It's a really uh, basic analogy. But this love, it's almost like it's the fuel that you put in your vehicle to turn it on, to go down this road, this path towards the kingdom of God. If you don't have that, the car's not on, you're basically going nowhere. That's how important love is. So with the remaining time that we have left, I'd like to take a look at two items. Why is love the greatest of the three basic building blocks of the Christian character? And number two, is there a best gift? And if there is, what is it? Let's look at this first question about love. This greatest of these three basic building blocks. And those are Paul's words, not mine. Verse 13, and now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And again, for those of you who are listening online, or those of you who might not have been here to hear this, I would also encourage you to take the time to listen to a message by Brother Adrian a few months back called, Is There a Gop in Your Agape? He goes into very good detail on what agape love is, and this extreme detail of this very basic Christian building block of love. So we won't take the time to go through many scriptures. We could be here for three messages on just what love is. But I'd just like to take some time to go through a few. Turn with me to John chapter 13. And what we're going to look is that all these many scriptures that we're going to look at define love as just your minimum requirement for a Christian. Just your, just your basic starting point in the Christian journey. John chapter 13. You'll know, you'll know many of these by heart. Verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you're my disciples. You're my students. I'm not even to the, to the solid food yet. But the love of God denotes that you're, you're in the classroom. You're one of his disciples. That you're that you're, you're on the journey. But by this will all men know that you are my disciples. You are my students. If you have love for one another. Again, a basic, basic building block. This agape love. John chapter 15. Forward a few, couple of pages. Verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. That word abide there again. To not depart from my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So there's another understanding of what the love of God is, and that is following his law. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Again, descriptive words from Jesus Christ as to what agape is. Keeping the commandments. Again, very bottom line, starting point, showing here that the love of God is really a basic building block in our Christian life. Very key, very key, but a basic building block. John chapter 21, we can refer to that. We can turn, that's the, go to John chapter 21 real quick. And Christ's conversation with Peter to get him on the same page as him. And we know the story, we'll just briefly, I'll let you turn there so you can see it. But we asked him three times, Lord, do you love me? And when Peter agreed, he said, and then gave him his basic instructions to feed, feed his sheep or feed his lambs. And they went through this conversation three different times. Because to understand the love of God was important that Christ and Peter make a connection on this. You could go to the entire through the entire letter of 1 John. John was the, the as we heard about last week, again from Brother Jan. John understood 
after his long life, what the, how important the love of God is to the Christian. How, how key it was to putting on the mind of Christ, to becoming like God in character. It was the, it was the basis of Christianity. We, go, we could go through the entire book, the entire letter of 1 John to get that. But let's go to chapter 3 of 1 John, just to highlight the importance in the Christian life of the love of God. That's the third chapter of First John. And we'll pick it up in verse 10. In this, that's First John chapter 3, verse 10, in this, the children of God and the children of the, of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So, love for your brother is tantamount to practicing righteousness. And righteousness is, is, is again, one of the basics of being a Christian. So this agape love is, is not a gift at all. It's expect, expected of all of us. That we're all expected to grow in this love of God. For this is the message, verse 11, that you've heard from the very beginning. It's from the, the very outset of all that Christ talked about, this is the message that you heard from the very beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, he continues, my brethren, if the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brother. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So again, John understood that the commandment of not to murder was really about hatred. That you can't even hate a brother and profess to be part of the way. My little children, verse 16, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart for him, how does the love of God abide in him. So we see here that this love of God that we're expected to have, that we're expected to be part of our character, is, is simply the starting point for spiritual growth. Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. I know some of you may have heard this in years past this particular part of the message for the next few minutes. But it has been several years since I've addressed it. So I want to touch on it briefly here in our congregation. We're going to look at the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. So I'd like you to count up how many fruits of the Spirit are there are in your scriptures. Those of you who have been down this road before, you probably know the answer. As you look down... There seems to be nine. Let's have a look at the scripture here. The fruit of the Spirit is. That sounds singular to me. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. It says the fruit of the Spirit is. And then it goes on to say that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Why is it singular when it's got these nine things listed after it? Because love is the greatest, most basic building block. Agape. It's what defines God. You go through the entire book of First John and, and you listen to the, the uh, Brother Adrian's message on agape. The God in your agape. It what defines what God is. And in the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians, it is the more excellent way. When Paul was talking, and we read that at the end of chapter 12, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And this more excellent way is the love of God. It's what allows you to use your gifts for the benefit of others, to glorify God. But again, it's this most basic building block in the, in the, in the life of a Christian. Read those verses again in John. Read them in First John. And we see that. So if it is the most basic building block, 
how can we break it down and define it so that we know how to grow in agape? It's a, it's a well-used spiritual word, this love of God. And if, if it's so important to build our, to have this love of God in us, how do we define it? Well, God defines it here for us. It's joy. It's peace. It's long-suffering. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. It's self-control. There are others. There's humility. There's meekness. And I'm sure there's others, other characteristics of God. This isn't a, a, a completely... Uh, a limited list, a finite list of characteristics. It's just what was on Paul's mind at the time. It's not an all-encompassing list. I, again, meekness, humility, I'm sure there's others you can think of. But we are limited human beings, and our journey is step by step. So rather than look at this great big thing called love that I somehow need to put on so that I can use my gifts and I can grow in the grace of God and become this love we take it step by step. You don't take a kindergartner and give them their high school graduation. You take them over the course of the process of 12 or 13 years. Here, we see love broken down in bite-sized implements that we can start to work on. I'll become, in the next year, I'm going to work on my joy. I'm going to be a little less grumpy and a little more joyful. That, at the end of the year, I'll, be, I'll have a little more agape. Go with me back to 1 Corinthians now. And I'll show you that's exactly what Paul meant. This next year I'm going to be a little more peaceful. I'm going to be a little less argumentative. I'm going to be a little more kind. I'm going to try to grow in faith. If we take those little bitty steps, year at a, year at a time, year at a time, by the end of this life, we will put on agape. We will have understood that the love of God is broken down into these understandable characteristics. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. We read the first part and the last part. Verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love is long-suffering and there's kindness. Long-suffering and kindness described as love. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It rejoices in all things. There's joy. It rejoices in the truth. It does not rejoice in iniquity. It bears all things. There's long-suffering again. Endurance. It believes all things. There's faithfulness. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. It never fails, verse 8. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Love, when we understand it, is what makes us complete. It's what makes us like God. When we want to become after God's image, from Genesis 1, 26, as we read we've read many times. It's this understanding what agape is that helps out here. And here, love is described as all of those things. That's why when we read Galatians chapter 5, we see it, it, it's written as singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And what is love? Love is joy. Love is peace. Love is long-suffering. Love is kindness. Love is goodness. Love is gentleness. Love is self-control. Because all love is, is the character of God. That's what agape is. And we heard that detail for us a few months ago. But the Corinthian church didn't get that. They weren't there yet. They were still in need of this milk. This mother's milk that understanding the agape is. That, that is. that is milk. They could get nowhere until they understood what agape love was and the need to make it a part of them. Gifts were pointless. Everything else was pointless until he got this part. So that's why Paul, when he comes talking about gifts in chapter 12, says, hang on a second. Before we even get to this, we need to talk about agape love. And you don't have it. And until you do, everything else is pointless. Tongues are pointless. Prophecy is pointless. Everything is pointless. They're, they're useless. Because if you don't do it for the right reasons, you're self-serving. 
So again, we see why Paul takes a break from gifts and has this discourse here on love. And then, chapter 14, he starts again. So pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Pursue love first, so that you can desire spiritual gifts. And it is the more excellent way that we see there in the end of chapter 12, verse 31. And again, to bring all this, tying all this together, the word way, again, back to Strong's, 3598, is hodos. And it means a traveled way, a route, or a course. We are on a journey to the kingdom of God. It, it, we are on a way. The, in Acts, it talks about this way that Christianity was first called the way. So we are on this course, this long meandering course called life, that takes us into, God willing, the kingdom of God. But the more, the more excellent way to that kingdom is to have agape. That's, that's the, again, the fuel in the tank that gets us going, that will allow us to develop all of these other godly characteristics, the gifts that are important for us to develop and mature as Christians and be ready for birth into the kingdom of God. But it starts with agape. Everything else is pointless if we don't start with the love of God. So which gift, proceeding to the second part now of the message, which gift receives specific, special mention? Chapter 14. So again, introduces gifts, puts a stop to it, talks about the love of God and how important that is to use, so that we can use gifts the right way. Back to the subject of gifts. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Especially that you may prophesy. So, when we're talking about gifts, there seems to be a specific gift here called prophecy that is given special highlights here. Especially that you may prophesy. Pursue agape first. Desire spiritual gifts. But more so, prophecy. And this word rather, in King James, it's not especially, it's rather, is 3121, Malon, in Strong's, and it's to a greater degree, more so, better than, or more readily. So we want gifts, but this gift of prophecy is one that is just at a different level. Not everybody will have it. doesn't make the ones who have it any better than anyone else, but it's a special gift. And why is it such a special gift? The key to understanding is to follow Paul's own definition of the word. We can't get caught up in our understanding of what, how we define prophecy. But if we go down, we continue reading, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. So Paul's use of the word prophecy has nothing to do with predicting the future. It has to do with convincing people who are followers of God to stay on the course. Edification, which means building up, as we know. Exhortation, which means admonishment. And comfort, and again, I'll bear you to be going through more Greek words so you can look these up yourself. And comfort is an, is an address for the purpose of persuading. That Greek word, comfort. So it's not a pat on the back. It's an actual education, edification, and persuading of people to stay on the right course. That's how Paul uses the word prophecy. Prophecy is not used in the context meaning looking forward to world events. How do we know? Because Paul defines it for us right here. When we go into Strong's and we see five different meanings of the word prophecy, that other stuff is in there. So I could tell you that I'm picking out my favorite one, but Paul here says that he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. So when, we, when he's talking about the spiritual gift of prophecy, 
It's not about foretelling events, but it's about edifying God's people who are currently on this same road together towards this kingdom. We also know that it's not talking about this foretelling of events because if we drop down to verse 6, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? And that word revelation is apocalypsis, which has to do with the foretelling of events. So when Paul is writing this and he uses the word prophecy, he's not talking about a gift of being able to see in the future and predict events. He's talking about edifying God's people. Because here he uses the word revelation, which also is a gift. It's here listed here, along with knowledge and teaching. And this word revelation here is apocalypsis. But that's not how he's using prophecy. So for the specific use of this gift of prophecy, he's not talking about foretelling events. He's talking about helping God's people. Last week, Brother Jan defined prophecy as bringing people back to God. And he used the prophet Elijah as one who did that. So now, understanding this, how the importance of what love is in the distribution of gifts, and the order with which we grow in character, which is love first, then gifts, and understanding that of all the gifts, there's a special gift called prophecy. And again, special for the gift, not special. It doesn't make the person who has it any better than anybody else. But here, it's especially or more so that we have this gift of prophecy. Let's read what we've read again in context again. Chapter 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? And again, keeping in mind that he's talking to an immature group of people as we reread this. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I now show you a more excellent way. Because though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not loved, I have become like sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I'm not there. And though I bestow all my gifts to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more so that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church, and again, talking about this being greater, the focus here that Paul ends off here is that the church may receive edification, because it is about edifying the church. Why is this so important? First Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? 
Therefore, let those, who, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good, as to a faithful Creator. Now go with me to Galatians 6 before we make comments. Galatians chapter 6. the word, share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. What you sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity let us do good to all, especially to those, more so, as that word is defined, to those who are the household of faith. We do God's work by helping spread the gospel. We're going to uh, see tomorrow night, for those of you who do go, Pastor Ramakon, hopefully with a, with a room full of five or eight hundred people people who may not have heard the gospel before. So we do our work trying to spread the gospel. And out of whatever part of the world where you happen to be here in the western end of Lake Ontario, we do our work to spread the gospel. We do God's work to help spread the gospel. But we cannot control who he decides to call to the congregation. However, we do know who he has already called to our congregation. <coughs> That's us. And it is incumbent upon all of us to look after the household of God first. Because this is our shot. This is our time. Judgment is upon the house of God now. This is our shot. When we went down into the tank and committed to this way of life, this is our time. And this gift of prophecy isn't a gift to make ourselves look good, that we can predict events and, and, and look good. This gift of prophecy is to take care of the people. And we do that together. Exhorting people, admonishing people, and covering people to stay on the way. That this is the way we need to be on. And at the end of this road is the kingdom of God. So the greatest gift, and Paul says here, I wish, you, I wish we all could have a gift of prophecy. It's not something we all have, but it's certainly a goal to reach. That we should all have a gift of prophecy because we should all be admonishing each other. We should all be exhorting each other. We should all be comforting each other to stay on this road. Because it is, it is our only road. We, we're on, and it goes that way, and we need to be on it. So as we understand and look into this subject of gifts that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks, it's not about self-glorification. It's about becoming better children of God. It's about helping each other do the work. Some of us can teach. Some of us can serve. Some of us can give. We all need to find our gift. Because we're at the point of maturity here that we've got the love of God. It seems apparent to me, as just one guy of 30 here, that we understand the love of God. We've got it here. We do things for each other. We, we're getting better at it. Are we perfect at it? Not likely. But we're getting better. But knowing that we have this basis of agape here, understanding our gifts so that it benefits each other, helping each other to stay on this road, helping each other when we're having a bad week or, or either maybe our health is, is ill, maybe our morale is down, maybe we start questioning something, we help each other stay on the road. That is the gift of prophecy. And it is the greatest gift. And God's word is not mine because much more to the household of God. Those who do not hear this will have their chance. We have committed to this, and this is our chance. So we owe it to each other to help each other stay on the road. Hebrews chapter 1, as we finish off. Hebrews chapter 1. We know this was written to the New Testament church, specifically to Jewish converts. And normally this is read to show how Christ 
and his sacrifice replaced the physical symbols of the Old Testament. But let's take a look at these passages in light of the importance of those who are called now. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he sat, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Then after talking about being exalted above angels, let's drop down to verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience receive the just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and miraculous wonders, signs and wonders with various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. Our time is now. And those who have been granted the gift of prophecy, a gift that we should all pray for, and not the gift of being able to foretell future events, except for the fact that we foretell the coming of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Edification, exhortation, and comfort are tasked with guiding the people of God towards his kingdom. Or as Paul put it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'll just turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, tasked with those helping people towards the kingdom of God. Or in his follow-up letter to the same group of people, he says, moreover, verse 23, I call God as a witness against my soul, that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but we are fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. We are all helpers of each other's joy. All gifts, when given by God, offer a form of service to people or to God and are important. As Brother Jan discussed last week in great detail, gifts are something God expects us to discover with the help of His Holy Spirit. And His Holy Spirit will help nurture them in us. But this must be done with agape, the basic essential building block of the Christian character. When we do so, in the true love of God, people will be served and God will get the glory. Because if we put the cart before the horse, gifts without love, we are useless in the hands of God. But with the love of God perfecting itself in us, the gifts that God gave us, used properly, is the more excellent way. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.